0: Thank you. everyone and welcome back to Rounding the News. My name is Liam Sturgis and I will be your host for this weekly news roundup presented by Rounding the Earth. Now, before we get started, please don't forget to go to uh, rounding the roundingtheearth.locals.com, you can join our thriving locals community where I have posted the show notes for today's episode, along with links to watch the show live on Rumble, Rockfin, and Odyssey, and yeah, even YouTube, as well as directly through the StreamYard platform. Uh, you can also, if you want to support the show if and you're watching on Rumble, leave us a Rumble rant. If you're watching on Odyssey or Rockfin, you can leave us a tip there now joining the rumbles uh, rumbles (laughs) joining the rumbles community rather joining the locals community is a great idea you can sign up uh to support us uh for as little as five dollars a month or as a free member if you just want to be part of the community but if you do sign up as a paid supporter you can get access to our weekly uh, uh locals exclusive streams where we talk about stuff that's not quite ready for the uh major public discussion as my cat tries to take down my green screen so bear with me there uh okay and if you want you can get a free month of premium support we do indeed have our promo code back up rte jan 2022 or if you go to the locals page running you should find um this link to click there anyway without any further ado let's get started with the news Jacinda Ardern resigns as New Zealand Prime Minister. Yes, that's right. As of February 7, 2023, Jacinda Ardern will no longer be Prime Minister of New Zealand. In her announcement, Ardern said, I'm not leaving because it was hard. Had that been the case, I probably would have departed two months into the job. I'm leaving because with such a privileged role comes responsibility. The responsibility to know when you are the right person to lead and also when you are not. I know what this job takes, and I know that I no longer have enough in the tank to do it justice. It is just that simple. These comments spurred responses from media commentators suggesting Ardern was leaving due to burnout and or that abuse and threats against the Prime Minister contributed to her stepping down. However, um, however... As pointed out by Tom Slater in the National Post, her choice to move on was far more likely to be related to her lower-than-ever approval rating and overall loss of confidence from her constituents. I quote, I'm not leaving because we can't win the election, she said, fighting back tears, but because I believe we can and will, and we need a fresh set of shoulders for that challenge. The global commentariat seems to have bought it, blithely ignoring the polls, which put her popularity at its lowest ever level in office. Indeed, it's testament to the enduring power of Jacinda Mania among journalists, if not the New Zealand public, that many have repeated her reasoning for stepping down totally uncritically. In the UK, Sky News's Beth Rigby might as well have been Ardern's press secretary, so gushing was her take. I've only ever seen political leaders forced out or voted out, she tweeted. But in Ardern, we find a rare exception, who again shows us how to lead differently. Now, recall that in 2020, Ardern cemented her position in the brick wall of authoritarianism when she asserted that her NZ government would be the single source of truth for all matters related to COVID-19. Let's watch. I've been watching for some days and this is not unique to New Zealand, that in the midst of what is a global issue, as you would expect, there are a number of rumors that circulate. Uh, I am present on social media, I see it myself. Uh, I cannot go around and individually dismiss every single rumor I see on social media, as tested as I might be. So instead, I want to send a clear message to the New Zealand public. Um, we will share with you the most up-to-date information daily. You can trust us as a source of that information. Uh, you can also trust the Director General of Health and the Ministry of Health. For that information, do feel free to visit at any time to clarify any room you may hear, covid19.govt.nz. Otherwise, dismiss anything else we will continue to be your single source of truth we will pro- yes indeed and in a rare case of fact checkers agreeing with things did new zealand pm Jacinda Ardern once say unless you hear it from us it is not the truth sub headline here maybe more importantly when and in what context did she say that well jordan lyles does go ahead and say it was correct attribution she did say it so thank you fact check uh yes indeed So, moving on to our next topic. Albert Bourla was confronted over sudden deaths at Davos. Indeed, if you haven't heard, the World Economic Forum is on. And reporting from Davos, Switzerland, Rebel News reporter Avi Yemeni managed to ask Pfizer CEO Albert Bourla a number of rather uncomfortable questions about his company's experimental gene therapy, BNT162B2, more commonly referred to, of course, as the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine. From Rebel News, I quote, Here's a list of every question Ezra and Avi asked Borla, whose only responses were, thank you very much and have a nice day. Here we go. When did you know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission? How long did you know that without saying it publicly? Why did you keep it a secret that your vaccine did not stop transmission? You said it was 100% effective, then 90%, and 80%, then 70%. But now we know that vaccines do not stop transmission. Why did you keep that a secret? Is it time to apologize to the world? To give refunds back to the countries that poured all their money into a vaccine that doesn't work? Are you ashamed of what you've done in the last couple of years? Are you proud of what you've done in the last couple of years? You've made millions off the backs of people's livelihoods. How does it feel to walk the streets as a millionaire on the backs of the regular person at home in Australia, in England, in Canada? What do you think about on your yacht? What do you think about on your private jet? Are you worried about product liability? Are you worried about myocarditis? What about the sudden deaths? What do you have to say about young men dropping dead from heart attacks every day? Why won't you answer these basic questions? No apology? Do you think you should be charged criminally for some of the behavior you've been a part of? How much money have you personally made off the vaccine? How many boosters do you think it'll take for you to be happy enough with your earnings? Who did you meet with here in secret? Will you disclose who you met with? Who did you pay commissions to? In the past, Pfizer has paid $2.3 billion in fines for deceptive marketing. Have you engaged in that same conduct again? Are you under investigation like you were before for deceptive marketing? If any other product in the world doesn't work as promised, you get a refund. Should you not refund countries that pay billions for your ineffective vaccine? And finally, are you only used to speaking to sympathetic media? Is that why you don't know how to answer questions? (sighs) <sighs> Indeed, as John Suits points out, Edward R. Murrow and Mike Wallace would both be proud of Avi and Rebel News. Indeed, journalism is not quite dead yet. All right. Now, moving into our main story for, the t- for today, ending human dignity. By far, the most alarming thing on the horizon in the public health sphere is the stated intentions of the World Health Organization to implement an international so-called pandemic treaty, which would grant the agency uh, the power to set binding recommendations that member states would be obliged to follow in the event of a future outbreak of disease. For example, are you aware that we're currently under a public health emergency of international concern for not only COVID-19, but also monkeypox still? And as far as I know, polio? That's like a decade old. Anyway, the sixth meeting on these amendments was kicked off about a week ago with WHO Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus announcing more than 300 proposed changes to the international health regulations. On January 17th, Unlimited Hangout published a discussion between investigative journalist Whitney Webb and Johnny Vedmore titled Jeremy Farrar and the WHO. Now, they were discussing, of course, Jeremy Farrar of Wellcome Trust and his promotion to chief scientist at the World Health Organization. But a major part of that discussion moved into, well, what does that mean? What are they gathering now to do next? And the pair pointed out that despite the WHO's stated intention to hold the final vote on these proposed amendments in May 2024, there is reason to believe they will move this date ahead without warning. As per per James Roguski on Substack, I quote, The official statements of the World Health Organization have consistently stated that they do not plan to adopt the proposed amendments to the International Health Regulations until the 77th World Health Assembly in 2024. However, if the proposed amendments to the International Health Regulations are submitted to the WHO by January 15, 2023, then they could be adopted by the 76th World Health Organization as early as May 2023. And why would they do this? Well, as Whitney and Johnny speculate in their Unlimited Hangout podcast, it may be a way to preempt inevitable protests that would come. So by setting this date so publicly of May 2024, We've already seen there's been major pushback on various steps in this process of getting this treaty going. And to some level of success, in fact, the public, when they've been allowed to come in and say something, have largely rejected this idea. And if this goes further, as people understand the meaning of, well, they declare a public health emergency of international concern or a fake, as the acronym reads out. And that gives them the ability to supersede sovereign nations' ability to rule themselves. Well, that is rather alarming. So, May 2023? Or, yeah, might as well just drop them in there before the protests come in the summer. But even more alarming than this uh, is one of the amendments highlighted by Roguski and reiterated by Webb and Vedmore. The removal of human dignity from the regulations altogether. So here's what Article 3 used to say The implementation of these regulations shall be with full respect for the dignity, human rights, and fundamental freedoms of persons. That has now been removed and replaced with the following The implementation of these regulations shall be based on the principles of equity, inclusivity, coherence, and in accordance with their common but differentiated responsibilities of the state's parties, taking into consideration their social and economic development. Now, I quote from James Ruzuski, proposing to amend the international health health regulations by literally striking out respect for people's dignity, human rights, and personal freedoms in return for equity, or in brackets, money, "...is so amazingly evil that my jaw actually dropped when I read the proposed amendments to Article 3 for the first time. This is actually a blessing in disguise that should serve to awaken everyone to the dangers posed by these psychopaths." Now, while the meeting took place entirely behind closed doors last week, with no live stream or opportunity for public comment... The proposed amendments are indeed available themselves for download on the WHO website. That link is available in the show notes, which you can access by going to www.roundingtheearth.locals.com or it is the first link in the description of this live stream, no matter where you're watching. Now, as elaborated on in the Unlimited Hangout podcast... There has been an interesting thorn in the side of the imposition of these new international health regulations. Africa. While the majority of the world participated in a number of falsehoods that led to the perceived COVID-19 pandemic, a handful of nations in Africa stood their ground. Tanzania, for example stopped reporting COVID-19 case data all the way back in May 2020. President John Magafuli declared Tanzania to be free of COVID the following month. He vocally opposed the idea of mass vaccinating his citizens with foreign vaccines in January 2021, even going so far as to suggest that people who had traveled abroad to be injected brought back a strange type of corona. The last time, time Magafuli was seen in public was February 27, 2021. His death was announced on March 17, described as being from a pre existing heart disease which took his life while in hospital. Wasting no time at all, the Tanzanian government, quote, signaled it is now taking the disease seriously. By signing up for COVAX, the Global Vaccine Distribution Center funded by the World Health Organization, Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, and the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, or CEPI, which all happen to be funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and basically every pharmaceutical company with an interest in these vaccines. But shamefully, Reuters chose to highlight the fact that the death of its, I quote, COVID skeptic and vaccine skeptic president is what slowed Tanzania down. I hope Omar Mohamed, Maggie Fick, and Alison Williams, who authored this article, are proud of what they've done. Magafuli was the first Tanzanian president, I think in history, to die while in office. But don't worry. As Reuters insists, there's nothing to see here. As John points out, how convenient. But just one case doesn't mean much. It can't. Well, how about this? Let's look at another. Another prominent example is Burundi, which opted not to impose lockdown measures of any kind. On May 12, 2020, President Pierre Nkurunziza expelled a World Health Organization delegation from the country, reportedly accusing the agency and its officials of unacceptable interference in Burundi's management of the coronavirus. Then, out of the blue, Nkurunziza, well, died suddenly. After a short illness, he was reported to have suffered a sudden heart attack while in hospital. So here's a question. Why does this headline suggest, in The Guardian, that he was killed by COVID-19? The headline says, Burundi president dies of illness suspected to be coronavirus. And then immediately under it, of course, it says, government describes Pierre Nkurunziza's unexpected death as a heart attack. Chaos! Once again, Nkurunziza's death was implicitly celebrated. While his successor, Evariste Ndaiishimie, swiftly imposed preventative measures to combat the COVID 19 pandemic, which he declared was, quote, the biggest enemy of Burundians. At the risk of sounding overly speculative, it occurs to me that it may be worthwhile to consider the possibility that the Location of these two deaths, and others, is more important than it may have seemed back in 2020. It's food for thought. Or, as ZYXZEVN suggests, the heart attack gun. Worth looking into. I'm not saying anything conclusively. But it would be worth revisiting last week's episode on hospitals. Now, Reuters can put out as many dismissive, insensitive propaganda pieces and fact checks as they like, but that doesn't conceal the reality that it's weird for so many dissident leaders, dissident heads of state, to die unexpectedly with so little explanation in such rapid succession. So novel was this phenomenon in 2020 that a team of africa researchers at the university of edinburgh felt it necessary to come up with an explanation their paper published in may 2021 in bmj global medicine focuses on those african leaders who reportedly died of covid 19 blaming it on i quote comorbidity poorly resourced health care and possible restrictions in accessing out-of-country health facilities the underreporting of cases, and later, the disproportionate impact of the so-called South African variant, also known as 501Y.52. All right. On the other hand, by August 2020, the world appeared to agree that Africa was basically doing fine. An article in Science suggested that large numbers of infections have occurred, but the death toll remains low, with antibody tests demonstrating widespread pre-existing immunity to SARS-CoV-2 among the Kenyans tested. Of course, what the welcome, trust-funded scientists at the Kenya Medical Research Institute struggle to explain, is that there are a few very good and rather obvious reasons why Africa had absolutely nothing to worry about. For example, the widespread prophylactic use of hydroxychloroquine, come at me, YouTube, in both the domestic population and international travelers for the purpose of malaria prevention. What I have on screen right now is the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, yes, the U.S. CDC, and their guidance on the use of hydroxychloroquine for purpose of traveling to Africa and other nations that have malaria. They say use it. They say it's safe in pregnant women, which I think is true. Anyway, I digress. More recently, however, it was a coalition of African leaders that managed to slow down the implementation of the updated international health regulations. Moses Ketile, Deputy Permanent Secretary in the Health Ministry of Botswana, read a statement on behalf of 47 African nations indicating they would be withholding support for the amendments in May, 2022. On screen, I have a video uh, from The Hill, Kim Iverson explaining exactly what happened. I recommend it. So giving the, given this ongoing friction, it becomes hard to see what followed as anything short of a threat to Africa. Indeed, on October 23rd, 2022, the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation led a new pandemic preparedness exercise called catastrophic contagion held at the grand challenges annual meeting in brussels belgium the event's participants included primarily representatives of african nations along with bill gates himself and a handful of familiar names from previous such exercises uh, such as tom frieden and tom inglesby big biosecurity guys what is unnerving about this particular exercise well let's get to that in a sec i want to play a quick video for you Officials in two Latin American countries alerted the WHO of several outbreaks of a new infectious disease that's mysteriously appearing across the region, Severe Epidemic enterovirus Respiratory Syndrome 2025. Over the past six weeks alone, there have been 500 confirmed or suspected cases reported. The virus could cause a severe pandemic if early containment and mitigation efforts are not successful. The pandemic in this type of situation and trend uh, would be a risk for the global health security. Pandemics are inherently political, financial, and so much broader. We have not spoken on the leadership in country, and I think that we need to be also very careful. We cannot decide a lot of things without the leaders be involved and agree on that. There is no substitute for national leadership. It's important to support the local response and the national response. Training those that are in these areas first, enabling them with the tools, protecting them, and if needs be, regional solidarity first. At this stage, communication is key, and communication should include not just scientists with data, but also social, religious, and political leaders. Trust. This is an essential issue. And trust was broken among countries, between populations and healthcare systems, between healthcare systems and governments. I'm very sorry to say that in uh, 2025, we need to strengthen the health system. WHO needs to be a voice for the voiceless. No one is safe until all of us are safe. As of today, there have been an estimated 1 billion cases worldwide, with more than 20 million deaths, including nearly 15 million children. Countless millions are alive but left with paralysis or brain damage. The most successful countries are those which invested in preparedness and trained for this moment years in advance. This included having full-time pandemic preparedness and response teams, which conducted detailed operational planning. And routinely tested those plans through exercises and drills. If more countries had participated and heeded the guidance, the toll might have been much less. <sighs> what is unnerving about this particular exercise? Apart from Gates making a personal appearance as a participant, is that this fictional scenario focuses on African children. I quote, The extraordinary group of participants consisted of 10 current and former health ministers and senior public health officials from Senegal, Rwanda, Nigeria, Angola, Liberia, Singapore, India, Germany, as well as Bill Gates, co-chair of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. The exercise simulated a series of WHO Emergency Health Advisory Board meetings addressing a fictional pandemic set in the near future. Participants grappled with how to respond to an epidemic located in one part of the world that then spread rapidly, becoming a pandemic with a higher fatality rate than COVID 19 and disproportionately affecting children and young people. Participants were challenged to make urgent policy decisions with limited information in the face of uncertainty. Each problem and choice had serious health, economic, and social ramifications. Stay away from the kids, back off. I don't like the tone of this. I don't like what it implies. Don't touch the children. Now, the problem, of course, is you'll notice they talk about paralysis and brain damage. Two shockingly common categories of adverse event reported around the world from mRNA and adenoviral COVID-19 injections. Okay, back to my script. Naturally, the lessons learned from the exercise included the need to establish a global network of professional public health leaders who can work together to improve epidemic preparedness and response and strive for consensus on scientific issues in advance of the next major outbreak. They specifically mention the need for a pandemic core, in their words, which falls perfectly in line with what the WHO appears poised to push through. In conclusion, I refer to the advice that Webb and Vedmore offer at the end of their Unlimited Hangout podcast. Watch Africa like a hawk, because if anything is going to happen in the near future, it seems highly likely to be there or not it's worth paying attention though and i think the key speaking off the cuff here i get very emotionally triggered by the notion that it it feels like gaslighting it feels like we're almost supposed to take them literally and suggest that they are going to now go and attack african children it's quite clearly not going to be that simple this may amount to nothing um but it's worth paying attention to. There's, there's some element of information here that is worthwhile to to take with us. And it is dangerous to speculate too much and to get carried away with our, our, our creative thinking. So I, I don't, I don't want to do that myself. And I do think we need to help each other stay grounded. What does the evidence actually show? Well, the evidence actually shows that the WHO is trying its darndest to get this Set of regulations through that allow them to supersede national governments in their ability to respond to pandemics, whatever that is. And that's the point. COVID 19, by definition, was not a pandemic. This monkeypox situation, it's unclear what that even was. Anyway, that's all for today, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in to Rounding the News, and I hope you learned as much as I did. If you have enjoyed the show, please remember, drop us a Rumble Rant. Uh, if you're watching on Rumble, or a tip on Rockfin, or a library token uh, d- donation on Odyssey. And before you leave, if you haven't already, go sign up as a member on www.roundingtheearth.locals.com. You can do so for free, or if you want, you can use this wonderful promo code that I've got here, RTE Jan 2022, to get a free month of premium. Uh, membership at which point you can choose to continue supporting us for as little as five dollars a month. Even one-off contributions are very helpful to the cause, and uh, it helps uh, keep us going. So thank you so much, guys. And um, if you uh, are a, a paid member or you'd like to become one, you can go watch. Uh, this past week we had a wonderful episode of our locals exclusive where we looked into um, uh, we, we 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 looked into some of the interesting. Um, the work history of of Steve Kirsch and his contributions to the movement, and looking at some questions about um, basically who who funded the uh, COVID nineteen early treatment fund, um, just 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 uh, some investigations. It was pretty worthwhile. Anyway, go to as well roundingtheearth.substack. It's still very much worthwhile. I have been Liam Sturgis. Uh, you can find me at www. or on Twitter at the Liam Sturgis. And we will see you guys next week.